Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hello everybody and welcome into this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's our match day 8 recap and I'm your host, Hugh McTeer. And as always, this podcast is rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We've got so many cool stories coming up in this episode from what's going wrong at Celta Vigo to the unique friendship between Ibar and Cadiz fans. That's all coming up, but we're going to start with Real Madrid's 4-1 win over Huesca. It's been tough recently for the reigning champions as they had some pretty poor results in October but they got back to winning ways thanks to an Eden Hazard wonder goal, a Karim Benzema brace and a goal from Fede Valverde who's proven to be a real scoring threat this season. To discuss it all, let's bring in La Liga Lowdown's biggest Real Madrid fan, Hassan Karim. This was Real Madrid's biggest win of the season, Hass, in terms of the scoreline. Was it their best performance too? I'd say certainly so, um, from an attacking point of view, more than anything. The common story throughout Real's season so far has been creating a lot and not really putting enough away, not being clinical in front of goal. For the first time, it looks like they've actually found something where they're putting it away. Every time they got through, it looked like something was going to come and go in. So it was definitely their most effective attacking performance for sure. There's still some defensive vulnerabilities, but given the, the issues at the back, with injuries, I'd say, you know, that's to be expected. But generally across the whole field, I'd say this was definitely their best performance outside of the Classico. Hazard was back from injury and he scored a real special goal. How impressive was he in his first start of the season? He scored a very, very good goal and he looked very, you know, sharp and looked eager to get involved, you know, regularly throughout the game. However, not everything came off. Um, I felt, you know, he made a few sort of sloppy mistakes, but I think that's more down to being out of practice for so long as opposed to anything else. I think with, you know, with more minutes, he will find better form and he'll perform better. But for his, a first game back after so long, I think we're finally starting to see, you know, the, the hazard that we all wanted to see and the, the hazard we know we can expect in Madrid. Now that Hazard's back, what do you think Zidane's preferred attack will look like? I think the front three will pretty much be quite an easy one to predict for the Zidane, given the inclusion of Hazard being back and fit again. So of course he's going to start, you know, Vinicius has definitely been a good player so far this season, by the last few games really, uh, but his form's always been a bit erratic and he's still finding that consistency. Um, Benzema's always going to start down the middle. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think there's much debate there to be had. 
Um, so, you know, he's definitely always going to start. And I think Marco Asensio is starting to improve. He definitely had a bit of a, a patchy start, but I think, you know, the Munch and Gladbach game performed well. You know, he was okay in this game as well, but um, I think he he's always going to start on the right unless Rodrigo really, really steps it up. I mean, he'd also look bright in his inclusion in the game. So it's it's definitely, I think the front three will always be Hassar, Benzema and Asensio unless stated otherwise. I admire your confidence about predicting anything about Zidane's lineup. Let's touch on the Benzema and Vinicius incident from midweek where Benzema seemingly told Ferland Mondi not to pass to Vinicius. What did you think as a fan when you saw that leaked conversation from Mönchengladbach? In honesty, I'm not reading too much into it. Um, I mean, the clip was quite inaudible. I think it's just the typical sort of media hype up. And given Benzema's frosty relations with French media, you know, it's, it's not a shock that they're going to try and undermine him in that sense. Yeah, you know, I do think there's some sort of an agenda there. So it's not an awful shock to see that occur. Um, and I honestly, I don't, I don't think, you know, what is being stated happened actually did occur. You know, if it was able to be heard clearly and audibly, then sure, yeah, you can you can discuss it. But it, it isn't the evidence being put forward isn't really clear what was actually said. So it's all hearsay, really, for me. Um, and you know, they didn't show any form of being away from each other, you know, or distant from each other when they both played together on the weekend. You know, he tried to set uh, Vinicius almost set Benzema up pretty much immediately. Um, Benzema also linked up with him quite well. There didn't seem to be any issues and I think it'll be dead and forgotten pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it'll be forgotten quickly too and winning games is the best way for Real Madrid to move on from it. Well, thank you Has for that. Before we move on from Real Madrid, let's just hear from Hazard himself. Here's what he had to say about his comeback in his post-match interview for La Liga. I'm happy uh, for the team, for me, you know, for for everyone. Uh, You know, I had little problem last year at the beginning of the season, so I hope now problem is behind me and I can look to the to the future. I'm a good player, so people they they ask me a lot, but. I can deal with the pressure, it's not a problem. You know, when I'm on the pitch, I know what to do and I know what I can do as also. Uh, you know, I used to play football, you know, no more injured. Uh, not a lot of injured, but uh, now, you know, I need to learn, you know, all my body is working and I'm almost 30, so I'm not that young anymore. But uh, I hope, like you said, all the problems are behind me and, you know, future is, <laughs> is good. <laughs> So that was a happy hazard and let's hope he can now stay healthy. I think all of us neutral La Liga fans just want to see the best players available and Hazard is certainly one of them. Now, every match day recap, we bring you some of the craziest and most eccentric commentary clips around. And this week is no different. This week, our sore throat game of the week was Athletic Club's 2-1 come from behind win at home to Sevilla. To talk us through the drama of that match, here's Alan Feely. Sevilla suffered their third consecutive league loss on Saturday afternoon, blowing a one-goal lead away to Athletic Club to lose 2-1 and further dent their hopes of proving the dark horses in this season's La Liga title challenge. The Andalusians came into the tie off the back of their victory over French side Rennes in the Champions League midweek, and looked to be finding it difficult to balance the emotion of Champions League nights with their domestic commitments. 
They began the game in complete control before losing their balance through some questionable second half substitutions, thus opening the door for Athletic to take the game with the scruff its neck late on. Sevilla's Moroccan striker Youssef and Naziri gave his team the lead inside the first 10 minutes, finishing assertively after being teed up by Argentine teammate Lucas Ocampos. It was a strike the Andasero team greatly enjoyed. The visitors lost sharpness as the second half wore on, with the game turning on its head in the 68th minute. Coach Julian Lapategui withdrew Joan Jordan and Ivan Rakitic, even though the pair had been running the game from midfield, with their potent combination of energy and experience. Almost immediately, Atleti began to find more space. Then, just inside the final quarter of an hour, the hosts were back on level terms. Iker Munien started the game on the bench, but he came on to score a crucial equaliser for a team that have endured a tough start to the new season. He found himself unmarked in the back post after fellow substitute Mikel Vesga flicked on a corner kick and proved to have the composure to finish his chance without problems. As Carousel Deportivo explained, the captain had done his job. Four minutes from time, another substitute popped up, with what proved to be the winner. This time it was Oyan Sanset, who scored from a similar position to Munian with his first touch. Unmarked at the back post, he connected with an excellent deep cross from Iñaki Williams, as the Cope team excitedly explained. It was just his second senior goal, but it has breathed new life into an athletic campaign that was in danger of petering out. For Sevilla, questions need to be asked. They have to pick themselves back up ahead of the Champions League clash at Russian side Krasnodar next Wednesday evening and get ready to go again. Thanks for that, Alan. Now, you may have already read it, but if not, then I want to tell you about Alan's excellent Diego Maradona article that is up right now on LaLigaLowdown.com. It's titled Diego Maradona in Spain football's greatest contradiction and is well worth a read. Let's hear from Alan himself about it. Alan, can you explain to us what this article is about and why people should go and check it out? Well, you and I think that anybody with a Twitter account will have known that it was Maradona's 60th birthday on Friday. There was so much discussion about his legacy and his career. Um, For my personal celebration, I wanted to write a story that told a tale outside of his peak years with Napoli in the mid to late 1980s and with Argentina at the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. Instead, I focused on his time in Spain, which for me was a story that was told in three parts. Part one was the 1982 World Cup. Uh, he arrived in Spain with an Argentina team that was divided between the champions from 1978 and 1986 and had to deal with the politics within that camp and was unable to dominate in the way he would in 1986 in Mexico. Um, part two of the story is when he went to Barcelona subsequently, spent two years in Catalonia but was struck down by illness and injury and was unable to really perform with the consistency that he later would in Napoli. And the final part is at Sevilla uh, between 1992 and 1993 where he played for just under a season and was unable to capture the form that he had 
earned his name with. He was kind of overweight. He had maybe two months at his ideal weight. Um, but nonetheless, man left a lasting impression on the club, the city, the region and his teammates. If you love football, you love Maradona. He's one of the most intriguing characters in the game. And I think the piece does justice into a time that isn't well documented. So if you have a few minutes to spare, I'd highly recommend you go to laligalodon.com and check it out. I certainly recommend that too. Thanks, Alan. Now we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, part two of this episode is coming up and we're going to talk about Barcelona. Speak to you in a few ticks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to this match day recap from La Liga Lowdown. We've discussed Real Madrid's comfortable victory over Huesca already. Now it's time to take a look at Barcelona and their 1-1 draw away at Alaves. I want to give Alaves and Pablo Machín a lot of credit because I've really doubted them this season. But at the same time, I feel like this was a game that Barcelona would win 9 times out of 10 if it was played 10 times. They conceded a frankly farcical goal because of a mix-up between Piqué and Neto at the back with Neto letting the ball run through his legs for Luis Rioja to pounce and score. Then Barcelona attacked and attacked and attacked and got one back through Antoine Griezmann, but only one. Let's bring in our resident Barcelona fan, Roman de Arquer, now to discuss this. I've seen a lot of panic about this Barcelona draw, Roman, but as I was saying, when I see that it's 25 shots to Barcelona and four shots for Alaves, I'm not overly concerned. What about you? I'm glad you asked that question because after the game I also saw a lot of criticism towards Barcelona and Koeman. And it's true the first half for Barca was very poor, it has to be said. 
But in the second half, you know, they reacted, Kuman made three very offensive changes, went for the game, they got the draw, and they could have perfectly won the game, but Pacheco and uh, Alaves' defense were just extremely inspired, so it wasn't easy. And I don't think we have to forget where Barcelona is coming from. I mean, they're rebuilding at the moment, you know. It was a dramatic end of the season last year, the preseason has been terrible. Um, the 8-2 against Bayern was really, really uh, harmful for the club, so I mean, these things take time, you can't just expect Kuman to come in and, and fix everything. And as a matter of fact, I personally see there's an improvement already, because I remember last season watching Kike Setien's uh, Barca, or even Balberti, it was quite boring to be honest, and with Kuman, I think there's a lot more in attack, as you said, 25 shots against Alaves, they're more creative, they look dangerous, and they have these youngsters on the field actually uh, doing important things. So I think it takes time, and we can't just say uh, Kuman is a wonderful manager, and Barca are great after a good win against Juventus and then suddenly criticize them all for drawing against Alaves. You know, these things take time. We have to wait a bit, not judge too soon. Maybe towards Christmas, towards halfway of the La Liga, we'll see how things are going and actually evaluate. But at the moment, they need time and I don't think it's worth uh, jumping on that criticism train and going for Barcelona at this stage. Yeah, I don't think the performance overall was one to worry about, but it's a lack of clinical finishing that's maybe the problem and Ronald Koeman spoke about this afterwards. Perhaps he needs someone like Luis Suarez, maybe. There's no doubt that Barcelona need a number nine. They don't need Luis Suarez, in my opinion, but they do need somebody similar. And in the summer transfer market, they were trying to get Lautaro, they were trying to get Depay, etc., etc. But of course, there's no money in, in the bank for Barcelona, so we can't buy anyone. And Kuman in the end, uh, had to accept uh, Martin Brathwaite as his only option in that position. And to be honest... He isn't a pure number nine either. He comes from playing in other positions. So it's it's not easy not having a player like that that can solve games and get those goals. And especially when Messi isn't at his finest towards goal. You know, if Messi is there and he's still scoring, then, you know, it'll be okay. But if Messi isn't there, you do need a number nine. And now we're kind of feeling uh, that absence in our squad. I don't know. I think Luis Suarez would have finished some of those chances. Anyway, overall, how concerned are you about Barcelona's position in the La Liga table right now. They're in 12th place with 8 points from 6 games. To be honest, I'm not concerned at all. I mean, this season I wasn't expecting Barcelona to win the league. Uh, I said it before and I stand on that ground. If we win, it will be a great, great impressive achievement. But it's unlikely. And we're two games behind many teams. I mean, there's still a long, 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 long way to go. Let's not forget that. And the objective is to get to the Champions League positions, uh, to improve the team and to, to evolve towards, I'd say, next season. So I'm not worried at all at the moment with our position. Fair enough. Now, let's talk about the other big story in Barca world this week. Bartomeu is gone as president and elections are coming. What's the mood among Barcelona fans right now with regards to the off-the-field situation? There's definitely a feeling of relief, a feeling that we can finally move on, you know, uh, start from scratch, have a new president, a new project, re-motivate the fans, the players, the whole club overall. And now we can just look into the future and, and be excited once again. Thanks, Roman. Now, time to look at another team in the bottom half of the table, and that's Celta Vigo. They lost 4-1 at home to a Real Sociedad side who remain top of the table and who've been just amazing so far this season. It's five wins, two draws and one defeat for them. They're brilliant. But all the same, a squad with the quality that Celta Vigo have shouldn't be losing 4-1 at home Real Sociedad side who were in Europa League action as recently as Thursday but 
That's my opinion, and I think it's better if we hear the opinion of an actual Celta Vigo fan. So let's bring in Ian Morris, the man behind the Celta USA Twitter account. Ian, what did you make of this 4-1 reverse? Yeah, so uh, uh, an incredibly disappointing performance by Celta on Sunday. Um, you know, obviously facing a team like uh, Real Sociedad, who's been, uh, for my money, the, the best team in La Liga so far this season. Uh, it, you know, things were never going to be easy, but... Um, the fact that the team came out and played the way they did was uh, quite a huge disappointment. Uh, they looked completely disinterested. Uh, there was a huge lack of organization, and and the team really just never looked to be engaged in the game outside of uh, maybe a couple of players, uh, Iago Aspas, Renato Tapia, and, and Denis Suarez, who had some nice moments. But uh, this is just, in my opinion, another nail in the coffin for Oscar Garcia, who looks um, incapable of of making the best uh, of the roster that he has at Celta. Yeah, it's not looking good for Oscar Garcia. He hasn't been fired yet, at least as we release this on Monday morning, but he soon could be. So, Ian, just in general, what's going wrong with Oscar Garcia's Celta this season? Really, I think the better question would be what hasn't gone wrong uh, with Celta this season. We saw problems over the past two seasons with uh, Celta struggling um, during large parts of those two campaigns, but ultimately um, avoiding relegation both times. Uh, and I think this season it's been a a combination of elements that have uh, put the team right back in the same situation. Um, the financial limits placed upon the team um, after the COVID-19 situation hurt us in the summer. Uh, the, the team needed a makeover, uh, but it was un, unable to sell some of the players that it wanted to. And uh, with the salary limits in place, they weren't able to bring in um, many of the players that the roster needed. Um, that didn't sit well with Oscar Garcia, the coach, who who asked for a whole litany of players Um over the offseason, and, and Celta wasn't able to to deliver that to him. And, you know, I think we have a completely unbalanced roster. We have a roster with one semi-decent goal scorer in Iago Aspas. Um, in, in defense, we've had some injuries. We've had Joseph Ido, who was our best defender over the first part of the season, who went down with COVID. And um, also, Jason Murillo hasn't looked to be the player that he was last season when he came over in in January and, and, and became really one of La Liga's best defenders over the second half of the season. Um, so really it's a big confluence of elements that have uh, just pretty much turned this into a total disaster at the moment. You mentioned Aspas and I want to talk about him some more. Once again, it seems like a season where he's the only guy doing positive things, where he has such a weight on his shoulders. Is that a concern? Yeah, I mean, Iago Aspas to this point in the season has pretty much been what we all expect of him. Uh, he scored four of the team's five goals. He's pretty much been there any time there's been a moment of, of creativity offensively for Celta. And um, were it not for him performing well, I think this team um, might not have more than a couple of, of points over, over the first nine games of the season. And what's going on with the captaincy? Because... Oscar Garcia made some changes this past week. So it was reported in the press um, earlier in the week that Oscar Garcia had taken the decision to remove uh, Hugo Mayo from the captaincy. Um, 
ever since summer of 2016 when Augusto Fernandez left, uh, left the team, Mayo had been the team's first captain. And uh, it was reported in the media that, that he was stripped of the captaincy completely and that Iago Aspas, who was previously the vice captain, had been main, named the main captain. Um, so flash forward a couple of days later in Oscar Garcia's pregame press conference, and he was quite visibly upset that um, this news had been reported, uh, well, really, that it had been late leaked to, to, to local media. And Garcia came out and said that Iago Aspas, uh, Sergio Álvarez, and Ruben Blanco were still captains of Celta because there had been some reports that, um, that Sergio and Ruben, who were you know, the third and fourth captains of the team, had also been removed of that, of that title. But in the end, they weren't. Uh, but Garcia no, made no mention of, of Uo Mayo, which um, obviously suggests that he has been completely left out of the picture. Um, no one really has any clarity on what exactly has happened between, between Celta's head coach and, and the former captain. Um, there have been rumors of arguments between, between Garcia and Mayo. There have been arguments of, um, of, of the former captain um, having some behavioral issues within the team, uh, disregarding um, you know, Oscar's wishes and, and things of that nature. But the reality is that no one is exactly sure outside of, outside of the team what has happened. And um, it's, it will certainly be interesting uh, to get the full story on, on why this has happened, if it, if it ever does come out. For sure. And Mayo is, of course, injured at the moment. So that adds extra intrigue right now. Maybe by the time he's back from injury, uh, Oscar Garcia might be gone anyway. Well, thanks, Ian, for your insight there on all things Celta Vigo. Let's see what happens with Oscar Garcia in the coming days. Moving on to some of the other fixtures from this weekend, we actually had a lot of goals in this match day. We've still got Villarreal versus Real Valladolid to come on Monday night, but 17 of the other 18 teams scored at least one goal this weekend. Only Ibar failed to do so, and we're going to discuss their 2-0 home loss to Cadiz in a bit. Surely the most dramatic game was the Sunday night match between Valencia and Atafi at Mestalla, which finished 2-2. It had everything, and this fixture's become a real rivalry in recent times. These two teams do not like each other at all, and that was made clear by the fact that there were 13 yellow cards and two red cards. There were also four goals, the first of which was scored by England youth international Yunus Musa, making him the first English goal scorer in La Liga since a David Beckham goal against Real Sociedad back in February of 2007. For most of this Valencia-Tapi game, that was the only goal. But then all the drama happened right at the end. Cucho Hernandez equalised for Hatafi in the 87th minute. And then Hatafi thought they'd won it with a 94th minute Angel Rodriguez goal. But the story wasn't finished. Valencia won a penalty, which Carlos Soler converted in the 100th minute of the match to make it a 2-2 draw. In a week with more of the pitch drama for Valencia, considering that Jeffrey Condogbia is about to leave the club, this was at least a semi-happy ending for Valencia fans. Looking at the other results from the weekend, Atletico Madrid earned a good 3-1 win away at Osasuna. It's a tough place to go, but they got the job done, and Joao Felix followed up his strong midweek Champions League performance 
with another good outing here. He scored two goals, one of them a penalty, and also missed a penalty in the game. Elsewhere, Elche suffered just their second defeat of the season as they lost the battle of La Liga's green and white teams. They went to Real Betis and lost 3-1. Christian Teo went wild, scoring two of his team's goals and also setting up Tony Sanabria. So, Betis are back to winning ways. For me, it's no coincidence that they're winning again as soon as Emerson returned from injury. He's maybe the most important right-back in La Liga in the sense that Betis always look lost without him. Right-backs have actually had a tough time of it in La Liga this season. Real Madrid right now have lost their first four right-back options to injury. Granada similarly went into this weekend's game against Levante without any of the three right-backs in their squad, so Jesus Vallejo had to play there. They did okay and earned a 1-1 draw. Considering they've been in Europa League action in midweeks, Granada are doing really well this season and they've only lost once in La Liga, that 6-1 loss to Atletico at the Wanda Metropolitano. Apart from that, they've been consistently solid. Now, I said we were going to come on to the Ibar Cadiz game and we're going to conclude this match day recap by speaking to Juan Osorio, who loves both these clubs. He's a member of the Euskadi Caddy Ibar Peña, which is a Cadiz-based Ibar supporters group. Considering these two teams are opposite ends of the country, literally 800 kilometres away, I wanted to speak to Juan about the unique friendship that exists between these two clubs. So, Juan, thanks for joining us. Firstly, can you just explain this relationship between Ibar and Cadiz fans. How did that happen between two clubs at the opposite sides of Spain? Well, our president Jose Carlos had a bar in which we used to watch different football matches, but we were tired of watching Barcelona and Real Madrid so long. On the other side, our Cadiz was in a difficult situation, although we always continued supporting our Cadiz team, of, of course. Then we realized that uh, there was a team in the north of Spain with high values which represented the way in which we live football. Being in Jose Carlos Bar, we started following Eibar matches and we fell in love with this club. In a match for the promotion to second division between Bilbao and Cadiz, two of our members wearing Bilbao wearing the Cadiz shirt and the Eibar scarf, and an Eibar manager saw them and was impressed. At that moment, they explained to him why they were wearing this scarf, talking to him about our Eibar fan club in Cadiz, and without hesitating, he invited us to make our club official. Well, our, our adventure began there, and we began to have contracts with Eibar supporters clubs, especially with Escocia Brava. They treated us from the first minute in a spectacular way. And in our first match in Granada, we lived one of our best experiences in our lives. The best experience, of course, occurred some months later in our first visit to Ipurua, when we felt in love with every Eibar supporters and with the whole city. That's so cool. I, I love that. How sad then was it that this match had to take place behind closed doors? About this question, first of all, we don't understand the football without football fans in the stadium. Apart from that, what a pity that the first time in which our two football teams were going to play in Ipurua, we couldn't enjoy it with our brother of Escocia La Brava and the rest of our supporters. We had dreamed with this moment and we couldn't fulfill our dream. Yeah, hopefully when the return fixture happens, there can be fans in the ground in Cadiz. Now, Last question for you, Juan. By the end of the season, which team do you think will be higher in the La Liga table? Ibar or Cadiz? 
Well, this is a very difficult question. The main goal is staying in the first division, of course. Once this objective has been achieved, we would like to see both of them as high up in the table as possible, but we cannot choose either. We know that Eibar has longer experience in first division now, but Cadiz being the revelation of the league, so we will settle for, for first and second position, and we don't mind the, the order. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. A title race between Eibar and Cadiz would be quite something. Well, thanks to Juan and the Scadi Caddy fan group, and thanks to all the other contributors to this episode that we're now coming to the end of. That's Hassan Karim, Alan Feely, Roman de Arker, and Ian Morris. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and as always, I thank you for listening. We'll be back at the same time next week to round up match day nine. Until then, have a great week, everyone, and take it easy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.